we're going to continue our second week of our new series on love and marriage. Um, and uh, I'm, I've been so excited about this series, I can't tell you. And God has just been showing up in so pro- such profound ways. I hope that you're reading scripture. I hope that you do consider getting into a family group and opening the word of God with fellow believers and seeing what it has for us in our lives, seeing how we can apply it and live it out. And I hope that you come here with an open heart and mind to hear what God has to say about some things that we assume that we're experts on, like marriage and like love, right? I want to give a disclaimer this morning as the Blast kids have left that today's sermon will be PG-13, okay? I say that kind of jokingly, but I'm also serious. So if you're here and you have kids and you're like, man, I don't know, they can go back and hang out and blast, even if they're like over the sixth grade, if you're, if you're uncomfortable, because we're going to talk about some real stuff, because if, you, if you've not read your Bible, I'm always amazed how people read stuff and they're like, did you know that was in the Bible? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> isn't that cool? Because God knows what's going on. He talks about all of it. So anyway, I want to give you fair warning. You've been warned, PG-13, that's a parental guidance for children under 13 years of age, okay? Um, due to content, uh, I don't know what it is, actually. We'll see, okay? Um, so nobody's leaving, all right. We'll see if everybody sticks around for this. <laughs> cool. All right, so we're going to open the Word of God. We're going to do what we always do. We're going to open it in prayer because God is faithful. I would encourage you in your own private life, you know, people say to me, well, I read the Bible. That makes sense. I would encourage you when you open the pages to stop for a minute and acknowledge God and say, God, this is your holy word. Or if you're like me, you can start out, you can say, God, if this is your holy word, speak through it. And if you're, because that's what I was doing as a non-believer, if it's you, speak, and God will be faithful to that request. If you know him as Lord and Savior, say, God, speak to us in this time. You can do that in yourself. You can do that with your small groups. You can do that here on a Sunday morning. I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now as we open God's word. Father, we come into your house singing praises to your name. Glory upon glory, you are so beautiful and worthy. We are longing to see face to face the things that we can only see darkly now. I pray today, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be dwelling here with us, living with us, very real to us today, that we could know you better, know your word better, and know who we are in you. May we not bring our mental, worldly philosophies into your scriptures, but may we hear your scriptures and let them transform our worldly mental philosophies. May we be changed because you have spoken. Give you praise and glory because you are worthy. You are the God who is living, the God who is active. I give you praise for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to pick up, we're going to pick up, it's going to sound pretty similar to last week. If you weren't here last week, we kind of talked about the root relationship issue that we have as, as human beings. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, the, we talked about um, the fundamental need that we all have to be in relation with Jesus Christ, therefore God himself. And that becomes the basis and the foundation for all of our relationships. I know a, a great friend of mine who, who tells couples, you know, you can get married and not acknowledge God in your relationship. You can get married and not be a follower of Jesus Christ, but don't expect the, the realities of your marriage to be all they can be. It's not going to be that way. Because the promises are for those who know God and who are loved by God. And not that we're not all loved, but we, a lot of us deny him and deny his uh, presence in things like our marriage. So I'm gonna, uh, we're going to pick up kind of where we started last week again. We're going to start back in Genesis. We're going to read a little different, but it'll, it'll sound familiar to you. Um, grab a Bible if you didn't bring one. Um, off the end of the chair, and we're going to read together. It's on page two, I think. All right. And I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to talk through it a little bit this morning, uh, kind of these next steps. I'm trying to build toward this idea of marriage and how we get from where we are to, to where we, we, we come to be in our lives. So this is what the word says. 
It says, so Yahweh God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs or the man's side, and he closed up that place with flesh. Then Yahweh God made a woman from the rib or the side that he had taken from man, and he brought her back to man. The man said then, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We read part of that last week as well, and we talked about the image of God um, being instilled in every creature. I mean, every, I'm sorry, I said that again. The image of God being created in every human, being instilled in every human, not every creature. I might ask me that. Did every creature has God's image? No, that's not what the scripture says. He created everything, but he gave man and woman his own image, and we're distinctly different from the rest of creation because of that. And there's a lot of people in our society who say, well, that's not true, that's not true, you know, because we haven't figured out how we, we got here and stuff, but the scriptures are clear that we're different than the rest of the created order. And the differences are that we're image bearers of God himself. He infused his own image in us. I, I, I'm, I'm, I want to start here in Genesis 2 again because I want to remind us all, because we can forget, that God created everything, and then he created men and women, and then God said this, and this is profound. He said, it is very good. It is very good. And you know, sometimes when we talk about marriage and relationships, we act like it's not very good. We act like it's like some kind of a curse that God has given us, some kind of an extra burden or responsibility. But what God said when he created man and then he created woman to be with man, he said, this is very good. I've heard people make the old joke about the creation order. I mean, you've got to think about this, right? There's been jokes made on both sides of it. But uh, the, the idea that God created all the animals and, and all the plants, and then he created Adam. And Adam was alone, right? That's what scripture says, because God says it's not good for Adam to be alone, you know? But here he is, he's alone. And, um, and then God does what we hear today, takes Adam's side and forms it into a woman. And um, Adam says some profound words. But it's funny, because I've heard people joking around about it and say, uh, you know, like, God made man, and then he wanted a do-over. You know, uh, my stepmom was one who said he screwed up the first time, so then he made it perfect. <laughs> you know, uh, jokes about that kind of stuff. But there's a reality, and I, I hope that you can see the scriptural reality how this how this works. That God had man in one flesh, and His image was Im imbued in, in Him, in Adam, and then He took from Adam and he made Eve. And then this is what Adam says when he looks at the woman. He says, "Whoa, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh." And for this reason, I will, we, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined his wife, and the two will be what? One flesh again. I remember I was talking to somebody on my uh, front porch one time and talking about that, and I, I believe that's a literal situation. I believe we literally, in marriage and in, in the union, the holy union of marriage, we literally become one flesh again. I, I, I'll tell you this. I think that's why divorce is so painful. Because you can walk through all the psychology, you can walk through all the, the you know, philosophy, you can walk through all the, you can, I, I, I hear people tell me, and I, I'm just being honest, I hear people tell me, well, you know, the kids are going to be okay. Man, it's, it's, it's flesh being torn from flesh. And I'm not saying there's not times, I mean, Jesus talked about times divorce, you know, can happen, and, you know, Moses and stuff, but the reality is that it's just a ripping apart. Some people actually say that's why they have a covenant marriage. Covenant means, man, I'd be split in half. Let me tell you, talk to somebody who's in the middle of it. If they can be honest with you long enough, you will know that they're being torn in half walking through that. 
It's not a fun thing. So there's a very tangible reality that, that when, when man and woman are joined together, they become one flesh, and it's just intertwined. It's, it's, it grows together. The marriage, the relationship, things change. So I want to share something else. I love that when Adam Caesar, he says, uh, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I, I'm sure when he saw the animals, he thought they were cool. But I bet when he saw Eve, okay, I'm a guy <laughs> alone on the planet. <gasps> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, God. Yes, this is bone of my bone. Can you just see what his experience was? Yes. It's kind of like the first time, you know, you saw someone of the opposite sex and you thought, hmm, hmm. I hope in that moment you could say, God, thank you. You do good work. Huh? I'm just being honest. I'm sure Adam was like, thank you. Thank you, Father. This is cool. And there's a reality that he was given this gift and so have you and I have been. And, and, uh, and so the first thing that I want to kind of throw out here as, as a principle that we're going to talk about this morning, and I think this is obvious when we say it, but I, we don't act like it's true, and it's this, that sexual intimacy was God's idea, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, he made a concession later and he added some boy parts and girl parts, you know? It was all there in Adam and Eve, everything the way he designed it. Listen, the stuff that he said is very good was all there. And that's pretty cool because we act like it's not, especially the church sometimes can act like it's not true. Now, the fill in the blank here, I, I, I call it intimacy. I thought some of you, I, I really was going to, I wanted to put up, uh, you know, sex was God's idea. That's a little hard to deal with, right? So we'll call it intimacy. You can call it making love. Make love. Yeah, I'm making some love, you know? It was God's idea. And there's a reality that if we don't acknowledge that, if we don't admit the truth that this gift was from him, we're, we're denying his sovereignty. We're denying his design. And that's tragic. Because God said it's very good. Now, here's the truth. And this is why I think we're so messed up on this issue. is because we have just totally twisted and messed up what God said was very good. And I know that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, but you and I do it all the time. And I want to talk very specifically about our culture right now, because here's the problem, I think, with, with um, intimacy in our culture. And I'll use that word, intimacy. We are, we are oversaturated. I heard someone say one time we're titillated. I mean, you can't drive around. You can't. I said this sermon is PG-13. I guarantee you, if you watch Spider-Man with your kids, you saw more sexuality you know, then we're probably going to even talk about today. I mean, it, 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 it's everywhere. It's saturated in. Kids, I mean, you know, young kids are talking about it. I remember whenever the, the school came to me and my kids were in the fifth grade, and they're like, we're going to give them the sex talk at school. Fifth grade, you know? But here's the reality that we, we, we have some positive things, but most of the influence just come in all directions, and they're all, like, um, sensationalizing. So, so on one side, our society is over-sexualized. We're, like, super hyper, everything, you know, billboards and ads. And if you want to sell a car, if you want to sell beer, if you want to sell anything, this is the way you get people's attention, especially guys. But not just guys, you know? It's true across the board. Women, too. You ever see those books with Fabio on the cover, whatever his name is? 
What you doing? I'm just reading, you know. That cover helps, though. <laughs> you know, it sounds better when he's caressing you and he looks like that. So that's one side, is we're overly, here's the irony. On the other side, we don't acknowledge God in it. So we have one side that we're like, we're like all, you know, uh, artificially stimulated and super hyper and everything's everywhere. You know, we're, we're constantly being bombarded with sexual imagery. And then on the other side of it, we don't acknowledge that our sexuality is from God and therefore we're ashamed of it. Now, if you don't believe that, look at our culture. We're actually ashamed of it. And that's not God honoring either. Wow, that sounds crazy outside. Whew. All right, so, so what we're going to talk about today a little bit is, is God's idea, the, the, the very good idea of sexuality. Now, I want to say one other thing, because this is a confused issue in our society right now. But the reality is this, that um, we talk about things like sexual identity now, and those kind of concepts are like not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about biblical sexuality. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to walk through a little bit here in, in Genesis 2 a little more together. So, you trying to push me up a little bit? Yeah, all right. All right, here we go. So, uh, so we're going to try to reclaim a little bit of this for God's glory, but now I, want to, I want to show you this short video clip. This is a guy named Mark Gunger. He's a, uh, he's a um, marriage kind of counselor and a comedian, so check it out. Now, sex is a, is, a, is a pretty big issue, particularly for men. Uh, for us, our sexual interest peaks at about age 18 and then goes down from there. So if you were to, to chart it out, it would look like something like this. It, it peaks at about age 18 uh, and then goes down. And you're dead. I was going to steal that bit from him, but I couldn't do it any better. So I'll just show you him doing it because he's brilliant. He has a series called Laugh Your Way to a, a Better Marriage. And it's just really good stuff. And that was a little clip from that, that segment. But if, if this is a reality of who we are as God's creation. And I think that the two errors we make because we're overly stimulated and then we're shamed when we shouldn't be shamed. All right? I, I would challenge you to do this. If you don't believe that God understands how we feel about one another, I would encourage you to read Song of Solomon. It's also called Song of Songs. It's an entire book in the Old Testament and uh, is attributed to King Solomon. But you can read that and you can really get a, 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 um, a feeling for what God understands about our sexuality, okay? So I'd encourage you to do that. The bottom line is this. At the end uh, of the uh, creation narrative, at the end of before Adam and Eve sinned, God has this statement where he says, it's very good. It's very good. The scripture reads, 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We talked about that a little bit already. So Adam has seen Eve, and I want to remind you again that we're still in the Garden of Eden. And, and this is what the scripture records, that it's for this reason that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so there's this idea of motive, motivation. So the next thing I have on your sheets there is that desire is a great motivator. And this is no mystery to God. Desire is a great motivator. Read that again with me. There's so much happening in here. This is the reason. What is the reason? The, the reason that Adam says, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is the reason that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. I would call this leaving and cleaving, right? Then your probably didn't say cleave. It probably says cling. What does the NIV say? It says, for this reason, he will, he will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. I love the idea of cleaving or holding on or grabbing hold of your spouse. And so uh, it's a great motivator, this desire that God puts in us. Here's the problem that I have, and I've talked to Corey and Carrie about this. The, the message, just don't do it, doesn't work. And we hear that criticism, and I think it's rightfully criticized. Just don't do it doesn't work. And here's the reason. It's half the message. It should be, just don't do it until you're married. Right? Just don't do it until you're married. But I got to tell you, that desire that God put in your heart, he put in Adam. He put it in Adam's children. And it says, this is the reason they're going to leave their father and mother and be cleaved to their wife. Because it's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this is a desire that God gave us. And so we, to say, don't do it, right? And then don't talk about marriage at all. It doesn't make any sense. I recently heard somebody say this. They said, you know, sex isn't all bad. Uh, it can be okay in marriage. I'm like, What? You know, it's God's gift to us. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother be, and, be, and be joined to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. I want to take just a minute, and I'm going to break it out a little bit. I want to talk about some practical realities that we miss with this. We tell our kids, just don't do it. Oh, and by the way, we got kids get married at 30 and 40. I'm not saying get married at 18, but, you know, God put that in you for a reason. Discern it. Prayerfully discern that what God's doing in your life. Um, guys, I want to talk to guys here, single guys for a minute. Look who's doing the leaving here, right? I mean, we have an issue right now in our culture where guys are just like on autopilot. They're like grown. I mean, I, talk, I think I told you, I talked to like a 40-year-old dude who was like, I never thought about the fact that I'm a man. I'm like, dude, you're 40. When do you think you're going to be a man? The reality is that this passage says that it's for this reason that a man will leave his father and mother. And I want you guys to understand that if it, let, let this desire, if God has it in your heart, because we already talked about single, being single is a calling of God and being united to Christ. So I'm not saying everyone, but if God has a desire in your heart, let that drive you towards a holy solution, which is marriage. Let it compel you. Let it be the reason you get up in the morning. And work so hard. You know, there used to be a time we would do that. We, we, would, we, would, we would risk. We would take chances because it was worth it. And we knew that. So, so for the guys, you know, let that drive you. And then, you know, if you're like, I don't know if you're like me, but this is the issue. And we gotta, you got to walk through this. Every marriage walks through it in some way, I think. Is that it says, it's for this reason a man will leave his father and mother. You see, I was an only child. My mom didn't want me to go anywhere. She was happy of me being home. But there was a time in my life where God started compelling me forward. I'll tell you a real quick story. 
And, and I, I, here's the thing. When I was 13, I was sitting with a priest because I was raised Catholic. And he asked, have you ever thought about being a priest? And I said, no, I haven't thought about being a priest. That's kind of a cool idea. Maybe I should be a priest. I liked serving. I thought it was fun. The mass was fun. It, you know, it wasn't my ADD. I could stay, I could focus, you know. It was good. But then I sat down at Donut Sunday. I was eating a jelly-filled donut. That's a long time thing. And um, I said, what's involved? And he said, you got to be celibate. And I'm like, what's that mean? He goes, you, you can't ever be with a woman. I'm like, whoa. Nope. Nope. At 13, I knew. No way. Now, if that was my calling, I could have been like, yes. I could have been a priest, maybe, you know. But it wasn't my calling. Like, no, I got to have a wife. Why? I got to have kids. Why? I just, why? I just know. That's the order. Wife, kids, God-honoring. It's God-honoring to do that. Now, if you know my story, you know that I didn't make all the right choices along the way. And there's, that's the reality. Right? But the, the truth is this, that we should allow, guys, this to drive us forward, to get us off the couch, the basement, and onto our lives to prepare to have a wife and make a home together. It's a motivator given by God. Now, I am not saying be ruled by lust and be ruled by your passions. That's not it. But if you believe that this is not from God at all, I think you're off the mark. Because you're saying God created something that was so powerful in us and it was like, what, a trick? God said it was very good. I want to remind you, this is in the Garden of Eden. He had a plan for men to leave their fathers and mothers in the Garden of Eden and cleave to their wives. It was his plan from the beginning, not after sin. Okay? And now, I want to turn a little bit and talk to the ladies for a minute. If you're a single lady here, I want you to notice what Eve has to do to get the guy's attention. It says, for this reason, Adam says, whoa, man, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and become one flesh. What did Eve do? Showed up. You know, that's still true today. You can just show up and that's enough. Now, some of you don't believe it because you've seen all of our culture saying what well, you have to be. You have to be provocative. You have to, you have to turn heads at the bar. You have, listen, you ever go fishing? You know, when you go fishing, you catch what you got debate for. How many, how many of you are out there in a lifestyle that's, and you keep going, I keep drawing the wrong kind of guys. I don't know what the problem is. Look at your bait. What are you fishing for? Do you want, you know, repeated, you know, people who are trying to use you to, to, to not follow through the biblical principle of being united in marriage? They just want a, a fling. Hey, listen, guys are lined up. Yeah, I'll shortcut on that. I'm saying you've got to have some self-awareness. What are you looking for? What do you want? Eve don't do much to get Adam's attention. And I would guarantee that a godly woman is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. And there, you know, you hear this is a myth. They say all the good ones are taken. <laughs> Whatever. None of us are good, first of all. And secondly, that's not true. There's good ones around. Don't buy that lie. I have to come down to this level because all the good ones are gone. No. As a matter of fact, and this depends on what you believe, but it says, we're going to read here in a minute in 1 Corinthians, it says, you should have one husband and one wife. That's a beautiful thing, because that's the one. So, guys, let it motivate. Ladies, guys got plenty of motivation already, you know. You'll be motivating the wrong stuff. So be, a, be aware of that. And, that and, and I'm just trying to lay that out. Now, I probably did a really bad job. But um, 
but just, just bear with me on that and trust that, that there's a reality that this motion, I hope you see the scripture says that the man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And that's a clinging, a hanging on to, a, a holding close. She's precious. She's beautiful. She's God's image bearer. And she is given to you as your partner. It's a beautiful thing. We should honor that. And honor that always, okay? So let all of our desires, I would say, compel us toward holiness. Now, I've talked about single people, and you're like, well, that's great, but I'm married already. Listen, married men and women can do the same thing. Let your eyes and your ears be for the wife that you have. Let your, let your Fabio be your husband. You know what I mean? You go, well, it's not the same. Listen, it's true. You can make it the same. If you believe that God ordained your marriage, you can look and you can be like, yeah, you're the one. The irony is this, that people say, oh, I want a marriage like that, but, but people aren't investing in each other that way. As a treasure, as a gift, as a beautiful creation of God given to us. So we can do the same thing. We can take, instead of being titillated by our society and being drawn apart by pornography and all kinds of evil that would distract us from a human relationship with the one God called us to, we can turn all that passion back toward our spouse and be like, yeah, this is awesome. I don't know if you believe me, but I've come to believe it. It's beautiful. It's very good. It's God's plan. So there we have that God is a uh, desire is a great motivator. The desire he gave us is a great motivator to do better, do better. Now, this next one I want to talk, this is for married couples, and you can take notes if you're not there yet. We're going we're gonna to push ahead into uh, 1 Corinthians again. We talked in 1 Corinthians last week as well, and I'm going to talk a little bit in 6 before I jump into 7. I know it says 7 up there, but I'm going to talk in 6 a little bit first. So I'm just going to start reading in 6... Um, 17. And there's more. You can just keep reading around this passage. There's so much happening in 1 Corinthians. Uh, you can read it if you choose to. But here's what it says in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. The one who unites himself with the Lord, that's Jesus, is one with him in spirit. That means when we choose to receive Christ as Savior, we become one with Jesus Christ in spirit. And this is what Paul says then. Flee from sexual immorality. All sins a man, all of the sins a man commits outside his body, but this one who sins sexually sins against his own body, right? And we are united in the spirit with Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. I love this verse. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you from who, whom you have received from God, right? That's our 1 Corinthians uh, 6.19. Our team 6.19 gets our verse from that. Look at the next verse. You do not belong to yourself, but you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So this is compelling Christians that whatever we do, glorify God because we are not our own. We belong to our Savior, and he paid for us. We are bought and paid for in his blood. And so that's where it starts out. Now, then it transitions right in here, chapter 7. It says this. Now, as for the matters that we wrote to you about, it is good for a man not to marry. Or we talked last week, it's good for a man not to have relations with a woman. But since there is so much immorality, each man, here's what Paul says, should have one wife, and each woman have her own husband. They belong to each other. Now, if you don't believe that, look at what he says next. The husband should fill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. 
Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here Paul jumps right into this situation. We skipped that last week because we were talking about singleness. He talks about singleness next. But he's talking about married couples here. And he gives some very, very clear direction in it. But the bottom line is that we, we should not frustrate one another if we're married. And this is what we get wrong. I'm convinced. This is what we get wrong in our society. This is why the jokes about marriage exist in bars, you know? Well, you've, you know, you've had the last of your sex you're going to have because you're married. What? It's not true. That's a straight up lie. What we get wrong is that before we're married, we're, we're just way too free. And after married, we start playing games with, our, with the person we're going to spend our life with. You know what I mean? We're, we're, out, we're out in public and we're like, when we're, before we're married, we're like, oh yeah, look, you know, you're all, all hot to try. And then you get into a marriage relationship and you start to play games. This is dangerous, withholding one another. I want you to see what Paul says. First of all, I think it's funny because what he says is he says, a, hu a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife <laughs> and likewise the wife to her husband. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm, I think sometimes, you know, I'm going to be a little stereotypical here. Maybe it's more of a duty <laughs> for the woman, but mostly for guys. Now, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, honey, you know, I'll do it if I have to. You know what I mean? Fulfill your marital duty. It means like pay your debt that you owe to your spouse. That's what it means, right? It means pay the debt that you owe. It means you owe him or her something. It means you have an investment in them. The word duty actually means a pile of stuff, an accumulation of wealth, you know? And this goes like, so you're either contributing to this or you're taking from it, but you have an obligation to your spouse, and it's a beautiful thing. So it says, but then if you, if you don't think Paul's talking about, because we could read that and be like, well, it just says your duty, so you've got to clean out the garbage and stuff, which you do, right? Because it's all related. Gary Smalley has my favorite quote on this. He says, um, he says you know what the most, uh, um, what did you say, erogenous um, organ a woman has is her brain, you know, because she knows the way you treat her all day. It's a beautiful thought. But he's not talking about that here. He's talking specifically about sexual fulfillment. This is what he says. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. Now, this flies in the face of everything that we say about our culture today. Our culture says, no, it's my body. I'll do what I want. Nobody tell me what to do with my body. But God says the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. He has a say-so. In the same way, a husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. This, the idea there is specifically related to choice. So what we end up having is really bad marriages because we have two people who decide to play games with something that God intended for them to share. And I don't mean, like, I mean, like, you know, well, you know what? One of these days when you get your act together, when we're going to be together again, it's not how it works. Now, I'm not saying that this is everything in a marriage. It's not. It's not. But it's part of your marriage. And you need to be honest about that. The Word of God says don't play games with each other in your marriage, with your sexuality. Don't do it. You know why? Later on, he says, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Because what you're saying is you're saying, I can handle it. I'll, I'll teach them a lesson. I'll show them a thing or two. What you don't understand is you're actually feeding opportunities to Satan to destroy your marriage, the very thing you're trying to save with the game. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And so, um, so there we have some very clear instructions from Paul. Now, uh, 
the, the last thing I want to say in this passage is this. Lest you think this is an ungodly topic, and, and I hope that, nah, I don't hope, you know, but I'm thinking, oh, brother, I came up here with fear and trepidation this morning. I said, oh, we're going to talk about this today, Father. You know, we're going to talk about it in the second week of the marriage series, but it's something that compels us toward marriage, whether single or married. It's a big part of our lives, and we got to be honest about it. But lest you think that this is ungodly talk, and I know that in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way preachers, preachers back in the day, Paul says this, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time. So you might devote yourselves to prayer. He brings God right in the middle of it. He says, if you're going to say, we're going to not do it for a while, it had better be because you're going to spend time talking to God. And then as soon as you've agreed that enough time has been done talking to God, you get back together. It's not a long-term thing. And that's coming from the Apostle Paul, who later says, I wish you were all as me, meaning called the celibacy. But you're not. And so we have this picture that God is right in the middle of our relationships. In every way, it's God-ordained, and we should be acknowledging him in that. All right? So, God, so Paul brings God right in the middle of the conversation. And the last thing is this. We're going to close with this here. Is that everything we do should glorify God. Absolutely everything. And, and here's the irony. Churches don't talk about these things, and it puts this whole segment off into, like, you know, beer commercials and stuff instead of admitting that God has something to say about this. God has something to say about you or I and how we're to live our lives, both as single people and as married people. And we should acknowledge that and be challenged by it. 1 Corinthians uh, 10, later on, Paul says this. He's talking about eating and drinking and, and idols and stuff, but this is what he says. Whatever you do then, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. I mean, that means no matter what you're involved with, you're glorifying God. And, and I, I, I personally believe that when we admit God's purposes in our lives, it's not a burden. It's, it's, it's good. Like he said, it's very good. But you do it for the glory of God. I know this is probably tweaking some of you guys because you're like, God don't, God don't belong in my bedroom, but read the word. Last passage here from the book of Hebrews, right? This is a great one. Um, we went to a marriage conference just recently, uh, probably about three months ago or whatever. I don't know if you of you went, and uh, they talked about this per first part of the verse here, and it says, marriage should be honored by everyone, right? And they love that idea. It's found in Hebrews 13.4. Marriage should be honored by everyone. That means if you're not married, you should honor marriage. And if you're married, you should honor marriage. And if you're married, you should honor other people's marriages. And if you're, if you're you know, widowed or you're a widower, you should honor marriages. It means that every person, your children, should honor your marriage. That's a big deal, right? Marriage is to be held in high esteem according to God. And we don't do that. And then it says, it goes on, because that's all I talk about, the smallest stuff is marriage should be honored by all, but if you read the rest of that, and the marriage bed kept pure, God says, because God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And that's not a browbeaten kind of judgment thing. That's just the truth of what God says, that it's his plan and it's his way. So the problem that we have isn't with one another judging, oh, you're going to judge me. The problem is that God has spoken on this matter. And therefore, we stand before him in all our, you know, glory and all of our sin. We're before him. So, so we should glorify God in everything. Now, here's, here's the deal. I'm going to ask um, Dan and the, the worship team to come back up. We're going to close with a worship song. But I, I wanted to share something with you that you, you may have missed. And it's this, that in the book of Genesis, Chapter 2, verse 25, it says 
the final words of the creation narrative before sin comes into picture. This is what it says. It says, Adam and Eve were together. They were naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. And maybe some of the verses of scripture that you've heard today brought that stuff up and you thought, oh, Oh, it's not, you know, I, I feel guilty on those things. Or I, I know I screwed up, whatever. Listen, God didn't design us to live in shame. He didn't. As a matter of fact, he, his son came to die on a cross so that shame be removed. That we'd be healed, made pure. And so that's the promise that we come in today. Not a promise that if we can do good enough, we'll be better, or if we get the right combination, but that if we submit to God's plan for our lives, and if we allow him to lead us, and if we're willing to admit that we've screwed up and we need forgiveness, he'll remove the shame. Like before sin, he can restore your life. He can restore your heart. He can heal you from the inside out. It's not a joke. It's real. And he can unlock an eternity of glory because of what he's done. This is just an opportunity for you to receive healing and restoration. I believe God does it. I believe he does. Father God, today we've come here and maybe uh, ready, maybe not ready, but I pray that you would be glorified to the proclamation of your word. I pray that we would have hearts uh, to respond to a gospel of healing today. And I pray that uh, for all the sin and the shame that we would first admit our error before you because you already know. You already know. And then secondly, Father, I pray we receive the gift of salvation and the gift of uh, purity that your son gives us. We trust you with this because you are able when we are not. I give you praise and glory today in Jesus' name. Amen.